Hello, everyone. Welcome to Just Jana, a podcast where each month I'll speak to a variety of industry leaders to bring you education, trends, and relevant topics in franchising. I'm your host, Jana Bailey, CEO of FranNet. Hello, everyone, and thank you to the new episode of Just Jana. Very happy you're taking time out of your day to listen in. We've got a great person with us today. You're going to learn a lot and maybe have some fun. So my guest today is Greg Stewart. He is currently the owner of CMIT Solutions of Baltimore County West. But Greg, let's reel back a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your life prior to franchising and business ownership. Well, hi, Jenna. Nice to be with you and everyone else. Um, prior to franchise ownership, I had uh, had a wonderful career at Xerox for 27 years. And unlike most Xerox people who went straight to Xerox straight out of college, I had actually worked for a small company for about uh, 15 years before going to Xerox. Wow. So it was, uh, it was quite unusual being there. When I when I first got there, I was the second oldest person in the branch office, and only the <laughs> branch manager was older than me. That's but a good way to start. Xerox was a great company, had a great career, loved it there, and uh, and I had the opportunity to be um, uh, opportunity to retire at what I consider to be an early age. I was only 57 at the time. Very young. Um, but Xerox was looking to um, to uh, have some of us older folks who had been around and were in the, the expensive pension plan mm -hmm. to um, retire early. So the rules were you had to be 55 plus 15 years. Well, I was over 55 and I certainly had more than 15 years. So I took a package and they gave me a lovely package, a wonderful package. And as my daughter explained to people, I, um, I stayed retired for about all of two or three weeks and realized <laughs> that at 57, I had to find something else to do. And I had had some small business experience before because my parents were small business owners. Um, we were uh, school bus contractors in Dorchester County, Maryland. And some wow. business that they had started. They'd done a few other business things while I was growing up. So, um, as uh, when I met Richard, one of the things Richard said to me when he looked at my background, he goes, "Wow, you've always been in business, Greg, because I was a paper boy at age 12, and I grew my paper route from uh, 50 customers a day to 600 by the time I graduated from high school." <laughs> so I said, "Richard, I think you ha you have a point there." <laughs> So um, I decided to look for uh, businesses to get into. I had uh, also been in business with my brother for uh, a few years before 9-11 uh, hit. We were uh, contractors for Airborne Express. Wow. And after 9-11, uh, everything in the overnight package business uh, just went sideways. And unfortunately, we had to shut that business down. And uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to do it again. But this time, I don't think I want to do it by myself. And I attended one of the sessions that uh, FranNet was holding about franchising. 
and owning a franchise. And in my last 10 years at Xerox, I had been vice president of uh, partners and channels for graphic communications. And I'd actually worked with printing franchises. Wow. So I had some idea of the uh, benefits that they got by being a member of franchise. I said, this is something I'd like to look into. But I, I didn't want to touch food service. <laughs> so mm. I don't want to have anything new with food service. And so uh, I attended the FranNet session and I met Richard and uh, it looked very good. And I said, okay, let's give this a try. And uh, then we went, when we went through the process and they do the personality test mm -hmm. and all of that, and Richard and I sat down and said, well, you know, based on your personality type, uh, you would like to do a business that somehow helps people. And so we looked at um, an education franchise uh, okay. because my Xerox background, we had looked right. at a printing franchise. And because for out of the 27 years of Xerox, the first 17 years, I had absolutely nothing to do with copying or printing. Um, a lot of people don't realize that the technology that we're using today was mm -hmm. actually pioneered at Xerox. And I was in the group that uh, did things like email and ethernet and document management. So oh, wow. uh, when, when he uh, mentioned CMIT to me, I said, you know something? I think that's the one I want to do because I've, I've done enough printing. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think I want to go back to my IT roots and that's, and that's how we landed on CMIT. And uh, I have owned my CMIT franchise for 10 years. So, um, and I actually just renewed it. For Good five. for you. Good for you. Yeah, I, well, you're back in your bio. Uh, you know, I saw you have a, a bachelor of science degree from the John Hopkins university concentrated on computer sciences and communication arts. So this is right up your alley. Yes, it is. Unfortunately, I, I took the wrong exit off the expressway. Uh, with my peers at, at the time, because this, we're going back to the uh, mid 70s here. It was at the time that uh, the fiber optics was just being developed. Mm -hmm. And the rest of my peers did fiber optics. They all became mil millionaires early. <laughs> I didn't. I, I became fascinated with computers. And actually, one of the things that I did at Hopkins was I actually built a mini computer and wow. programmed it to track the movement of people's eyes. And since Johns Hopkins is more known for medicine than it is for technology, that that was a natural fit because at the time the Wilmer Eye Institute was trying to come up with some computer programs and some computers to track eyes. And so that's what I did. And after leaving Hopkins, my first job was with a small company that controlled lighting, air conditioning, heating, ventilation, and refrigeration. Uh, in stores and office buildings, and uh, I was a coder there. I uh, actually programmed microcomputers to replace mini computers so that we could get them small enough that they could be literally in stores and in office buildings and not take up a lot of space. So yeah, so this well, is this is coming back to my uh, <laughs> my early roots. Well, the the you know we're, we're showing our age here, Greg, but I was a banker early on and um, worked in a small bank in Paducah, Kentucky. And we started a leasing program. And one of the things that we were looking at leasing and I actually had a couple of clients, we did a lease package was computers. 
And I remember going into this um, hardware and home store, you know, basically it was building supplies and the computer that they bought to handle their accounts receivables and payables and just basically their financials, their inventory would fill a small room. I mean, and it had to be specially air conditioned. I mean, when you think about that to where we are with everything being done on a laptop or a phone, it's just staggering. Oh, it is. It's it's amazing because we thought we were doing something really innovative back then because originally for these systems, you had to, like you said, have a computer that, well, it wasn't big enough to fill a whole room, but it would, it would at least fill a closet yeah. or a garage, right? So by changing and having all these microcomputers that were as small as, uh, say, a 12-inch TV set, we could actually put those into buildings and they were they would communicate back with the host over uh, phone lines. So I remember we the dial-ups. When we first had the dial-ups and did all that, yes. Yeah. Yeah, again, we've got, we got, we got some of our younger audience out there going, what? All right. And, and now I carry around more computing power in my hand and my iPhone than we had in our entire data center. In exactly. Exactly. So you've told us how you decided on CMIT and that you've been in 10 years and you've just renewed for another five. So how would you describe the, the journey through this franchise? Was it everything you'd hoped for? Is it, you know, um, what were the highs and what have been the most challenging moments? Oh, the, the highs have been the clients. Uh, working with the clients has just been fabulous uh, because we basically provide the kind of IT that big companies and big organizations have to small and medium-sized businesses. Mm -hmm. And when we find the right client and it's the right fit, it is extremely rewarding because when we tell them about things that they had no idea, and particularly today, now that when, when I started 10 years ago, it was more of, wow, do I need support? I have five or six or seven computers and, and to be able to come in and say to them, well, here's what we can do. And a lot of these business owners like myself had been in corporate America. So they knew mm -hmm. what it was like to have IT support. And when we would say, okay, we can take the responsibility for all of this off your hands and you can just focus on your business and call us whenever you need something like to get a new employee and you need a new computer and you need a new mm -hmm. email. We, we do those things for you. You don't have to worry about it. When you found that right client, it was very rewarding. Um, as a matter of fact, I have two clients that have been with me for nine years. Wow. And it's great. So that's the high. Okay. <laughs> the, the, lo the low with this particular franchise, which was not an issue for me, um, because I didn't need to take a, a salary. I didn't need to pay myself while I was mm. doing this. But when, um, when I do validation with people who are looking at this franchise, that's one of the things I say to them. Now, you have to think about, do you need to pay yourself? And, and how long can you go without paying mm. yourself? Because it does take some time to get up to profitability in this business. Because you do have to make certain investments, and then you have to find those clients, and you have to get to a certain number of clients. Since our model is we bill monthly uh, based on the number of users, 
then that does take some time. So that was the low point. It was, uh, it was three years um, before I got to the point that I was profitable. And it was five and a half years before I got my initial investment back. But since then, it's been fabulous. <laughs> well, and that's so much a part of the due diligence when people are looking at franchises is to understand what is going to be a fit for their income needs. And do they have the wherewithal to sustain that company till it hits break even and you can start drawing out of it. So it's such a good point. That's it. And and it worked out very well for me. And, and thinking about the two that it came down to when I was working with Richard, it was CMIT or the other thing I was thinking about was staying in printing. And um, I was looking at um, SpeedPro printing mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. a wide format printing franchise. And that's the exact opposite. The, in their model, you get to revenue quickly because what they do is you start selling, you get customers, but you don't do the actual printing. Somebody who's in the network does the printing for you. So you outsource it to them. And until you get to a certain revenue level, where they know very well, when you get to this revenue level, you're going to be able to be profitable. That's when you open your studio, get your equipment, and you have those expenses. So hmm. if I had needed the, yeah. the income, I would have gone that way. Right. But I wanted the opportunity to really build something this way, and it worked out very well. Great. Great. Well, as you think back to where you were, and, and we're kind of talking about it, but what advice would you give for people, to people who are currently starting this journey and looking at business ownership as an option? Well, number one, be very honest with yourself. Be, take everything to heart that you're told when you go through those personality assessments, because it is actually true. Know what you like to do, know what you're good at know what you have an affinity for and follow that path. Um, if, I, if I had gone for a, uh, a food franchise, although it would have been, <laughs> that the money would have been there, I don't think I would have lasted more than two years at best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they would have advised me to go do something else. So, so that's number one. Um, also listen carefully when they, when they talk about the, the finances of it. Mm-hmm. and the investment that you need to make. Because looking back on it now, everything that Richard laid out was right on the mark. Uh, when when your model said, this is how much you're going to need to invest and roughly how long it's going to take you to get that investment back, pretty much you guys nailed it. So whatever tools you use to come up with that, you're very good. <laughs> so that, that's number two. Listen, um, and, and also for people who've never been a small business before, never been in business on their own before, um, it's very different than working for somebody. Think about, you know, this is now my business. I am now the boss. I now get to make my own mistakes as opposed to somebody else making them for me. And, and we learn point from, out. <laughs> right. And, and learn from your mm-hmm. mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, those are, the, I think those are the big things for people. Everything else you can kind of work through. And particularly when you're in a franchise, because one of the beauties of being part of a franchise is, yes, you own your own business, but you don't have to reinvent the wheel. 
you're part of a group of people who are doing the same kind of thing. So there are tools available for you from the franchise. Uh, there are tools available for you from FranNet because FranNet um, uh, pointed me to FranFund, which is how I ended up uh, funding my business and now managing my 401k. So take advantage of the tools that are available to you because they are there and they are good. Yeah, to, I, usually. Yeah. I can't speak for all franchises, but usually they're you, you have a really good situ a really good track record and a good solid franchisor. Yeah. Um which, you know, as the old banker, that's one of the things that I'm really picky about is the brands that we do show to be sure they've been well vetted and yeah. that we do have the story that will be accurate. So we try really hard. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. But also, you know, the banker in me knows that number one reason small businesses fail is the lack of working capital. So if somebody goes in it trying to, you know, bootstrap it, they're probably going to, you know, have some bumps in the road that throw them out altogether. Um, it's just, you've got to have that cushion. Yeah. Got to have that cushion. Well, Greg, this has just been a delight. And, and what the audience didn't get to hear was all of our banter back and forth before we started. <laughs> so um, I have to ask. Now, the Xerox men back in the day all had the look. Now, this will be something <laughs> kind of shocking to some of our younger people. What was the dress code requirement of the Xerox uh, men? Okay. Uh, I... I, I I need a moment to get my words together because you have me laughing because you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> Working for Xerox, you, you had to look the part. Mm -hmm. And I was in the Washington DC area, which was one of the more profitable Xerox areas. So typically, um, first thing you needed to do is you needed to go out and get your wardrobe together. You uh, either had a Brooks Brothers. I was going to say you, Brooks Brothers, right? Or or you or you had a tailored suit. It seemed like every region had a custom tailor that worked with them. That mm -hmm. when you went in the work, they bring you in and introduce you to whomever it was. Uh, our guy in DC's name was Kimlani, and uh, and his family back in India did all of the work. So wow, we got these gorgeous uh, cotton shirts that were made in India and, and they're tailored and they have your monogram on. And, and of yeah. course, in those days, everybody wore French cuffs and cuff links. Mm -hmm. and, and you dressed every single day and your shoes were perfectly shined mm -hmm. every day because you had to look right when you went into that customer site. So we went through a little bit of shock in the uh <laughs> as the millennium came around when we were like okay now we're more into this high-tech thing everybody there is, is like steve jobs so mm -hmm. then we then we got into the okay we're business casual now so you know you have the, the jacket xerox never went all the way to the jeans like apple but mm -hmm. dress slacks and then again a nice shirt and and <laughs> you did that and you always right I had a weekly barber appointment just to make sure that my hair was just right. And um, uh, facial hair, you could have a short, well-trimmed mustache, but that was it. Yep. yep. That was it. 
Well, see, at the same time you were doing that, I'm over here at the bank where women were not aware allowed to wear slacks. I had to have a skirt and a suit jacket. Basically, it was men's ja- men's suit, but with a skirt instead. And the skirt had to be knee length. And I had to wear the little pumps and, you know, all of those things and, and no big earrings and moderate makeup. And, you know, I told somebody I got out of banking just so I could breathe and, and buy clothes I wanted to wear. <laughs> now, I will say this. Xerox was not as bad as IBM. Uh, I mm. was raised by three ex-IBM vice presidents when I was in a small company. Mm-hmm. And when I went from the technical side, uh, they they gave me a choice after I'd been there for a while. Because you have to make a decision. You either have to go into hardcore engineering or you have to go into sales. And I like people. <laughs> I didn't like sitting down at a drafting board and, and being in, in mm-hmm. uh, musty machine rooms all the time. So I said, okay, I'll try sales. So since they were ex-IBMers, there was only one color shirt. White. white. You could have two color ties, which would fit in today's political realm. It was either red or it was blue. That was it. (laughs) (laughs) And most of the suits back then were black or blue. Yes, navy blue or black. Mm -hmm. That was it. Mm -hmm. Don't don't try and get interesting. And mm-hmm. where is it? At least at Xerox, you you could be much more colorful. I remember a banker coming into the into work one day in a brown suit, and you would have thought he'd walked in in his pajamas. It was yeah. it was an uproar. <laughs> I I would imagine. Well, Greg, you've been the highlight of my day, maybe my week. You've made me laugh, and I needed this. This is great. I thank you for your time. And you have been a lot of fun also. This has been great. Well, I'm sure our audience will enjoy your story. And I think Greg hit on some great points for everyone. Do your homework. Use the resources that are available. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. And things usually work out the way they were laid out to work. So, Greg, thank you so much. And everyone, thanks for joining us for another Just Jana. Just Jana.